everyone. Thanks for hitting play on episode number five of the School Stories podcast. This episode features artist and arts educator Katie Pell. Katie has a way of speaking that's direct, incisive, raw, and just funny. If you've seen her art, you know that it's all those things too. Katie was super willing to get abstract, which I love. We talked somewhat philosophically about education and the act of making art. And most importantly, she's comfortable with the vulnerable. I thank her for opening up about the hard things in her life and how she's moving through them. I hope you guys enjoy. Check out Katie's work at katiepellart.com. My life is changing so much and so rapidly that I feel like I'm constantly in a state of change. School Stories is a podcast about creative people and their relationships with school. I interview friends, colleagues, and strangers about how school did or did not support their growth as a creative person. We discuss how school informs who we become in unexpected ways and what we wish for education moving forward. At School Stories, we know that our identities are wrapped up in our schooling experiences, and we're eager to learn from those experiences so we can do better for creative kids everywhere. Because we know creative kids are all kids. We're recording. Mm-hmm. Um, hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm super good, and you're I'm really good. glad to be here. I'm glad you're here, too. Happy Friday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so I'll start with a simple question just how are you feeling right now I am feeling like I am changing oh say more about that I feel like I'm changing my life is changing so much and so rapidly that I feel like I'm constantly in a state of change a matter of fact my favorite song right now is that Langhorn Slim change Mm, I haven't heard it oh it's super good I'll have to listen to it Yeah, I just feel like I'm changing all the time after a while of not changing as quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how how are you navigating that? I guess the way I'm doing it is I'm just letting myself be different. Yeah. I'm letting myself respond differently than I had responded previously to the same stimuli. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what... Learning and growing is, right? Yeah. You can't always change your environment, but it seems like I'm changing my environment, even though my environment's staying the same. Yeah. Every day is a new day. Yeah. It's weird. Like, a lot of my framework, and I'm sure a lot of people have this, um, there's this piece of artwork I made once, and it shows this, it's two pictures side by side, and one is this guy rocket surfing, you know, like on waves, you know, with one of those rocket windsurfers, mm-hmm. and then next to it, there's this house that's being hit by a tornado. And it says, underneath it says, um, some people decide on change and other people have it thrust upon them. Mm-hmm. Either way, they learned a lot. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that's how I feel. I feel like yeah. a lot of change has been thrust upon me recently yeah. in that my home situation has changed. My child has is gone and my husband has died. Yeah. And I just got a new job. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm a single person. It's a really different phase of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like giving yourself permission to just react in the way that you're, or respond in the way that you're responding is, I mean, I'm also going through change, not nearly as dramatic as yours, but I'm finding that I just have to let myself respond the way that I'm responding and not try to control the emotion or the reaction to my reality. Um, Well, let's start in a more uh, traditional way. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do? Okay, my name's Katie Pell and I'm a visual artist. 
And I also have just currently taken on a full-time position at the Southwest School of Art, being in charge of currently the teen program and teen education in general. So there's an after-school, free-of-charge, studio-intensive program that I'm managing mm -hmm. and recruiting and developing or increasing development of. And then uh, I'm going to partner with that with workshops and other kinds of artistic development and programming for teens, meaning between the ages of 14 and 18. Awesome. You've been in San Antonio for a while, right? Yeah, a very long time. I've lived <laughs> in San Antonio for 22 years. Wow. And I moved here totally on a whim. Yeah, like I know. Completely we're gonna, on a whim. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, but before we do, um, how would you characterize the artwork that you make? It's kind of large and narrative. My work's very mm -hmm. narrative. It's very storytelling oriented. Mm -hmm. I work in a lot of different media. I do uh, large-scale drawings. I do small drawings. I do comic books. Um, I do some painting. I do sculpture. But it's always kind of to tell a story, and it's pretty humor-based. So mm -hmm. a lot of it's funny. Yeah. And um, it's a little better. I saw the, the Bitchin' ex Exhibition online. Oh, yeah. That looked really cool. So that was a piece, that was when I took a whole bunch of, one of the things I noticed when I moved here is a lot of like $80,000 lowrider cars parked outside of $20,000 houses. And I never saw women <laughs> driving those cars, right? Like yeah. It's always these dudes driving them around. So I was like, well, what if we had an equitable distribution of wealth? Yeah. And so I took a whole bunch of those kitchen appliances to custom car shops and got them customized and then entered them mm. in car shows. That's hilarious. Yeah. Cause I was, and it was funny because I really thought I was going to teach everybody a lesson. Like <laughs> I was going to blow everybody's mind. And of course they were like, these are really cool. Yeah. yeah. And then they were eventually displayed at ArtPace. Yeah. They were part okay. of the ArtPace paid for them. So they gave okay. me a lot of money. I did this residency and then I have an exhibition at the end of that. And then I had another exhibition there. I showed the, I did some other ones and showed them in Dallas. And then I um, eventually um, sold them all. So if you had to pick, what part of your art or, and or teaching career are you most proud of? Probably the show I just had in mm -hmm. South Carolina. Because I just had a show in South Carolina and it included, it was at the Columbia Museum of Art. And it was about 68 works. Wow, that's so a it's lot. big. Yeah, it's four big galleries in this big major museum, yeah. and it's super cool. And what I really like is that it just represents a lot of kind of series of work, different series of work, and they all kind of go together mm -hmm. in that a lot of times I'm making pieces, and I tend to not be very cunning about it. And mm -hmm. that's probably because I have never been really a full-time committed, professional, ambitious, academic artist mm -hmm. because I was uh, caretaking a, an ill person mm -hmm. for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. And that was um, kind of kept me from being maybe as ambitious or cunning an artist. So mm -hmm. I tend to not make work. I always am afraid my work's not that unified because I'm kind of working sporadically mm -hmm. and working on crisis management, like whatever's yeah. in the front of my face. Yeah. At that time. So where you said it was sixty-eight pieces. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So was that was that were those pieces that you've made across your lifetime, or were those pieces that you made in a in a short period of well, time? Like Forty of them I made since Christmas. Whoa. I know it was really. <laughs> that hard. is like really a manic. <laughs> that I know. sounds manic, and that's almost. like a thirty-foot by ten-foot drawing. Wow. And, uh, and 
and that's an incredible thirty output. foot by ten foot quilt and you know nine prints twenty yeah like a lot of work it was yeah. really it was tough yeah it was tough to get it done are you comfortable talking about your husband and what and oh, sort sure. of okay um, tell us about his illness and what yeah so my husband had an immuno illness. And it's very difficult to talk about what it actually was because I'm not sure he ever got a diagnosis. Mm. You know, it could have been some kind of mitochondrial birth defect. It The way it manifested was after we got married. When I first married him, he was a super jock, like thrasher, snowboarder, <laughs> you know, country yeah. boy from Marfa, Texas. And then he um, started getting asthma. Which late, you know, at 24, most people get yeah. as children. But he had always had really bad allergies, and so we thought, okay, so now he has asthma. His mother had asthma, and um, but it just kept progressing. Like it didn't respond to asthma drugs, and mm-hmm. so what they did was they started putting him on high doses of prednisone as an anti-inflammatory, just to keep mm-hmm. his lungs open because he wasn't really responding as well as he should have to albuterol. And then they became more radical, and they put him on methyltrexate, which is a cancer drug, which wow. is sometimes treated for very hard, untreatable asthma. And it sort of progressed by then, and he started taking higher and higher doses of steroids, like really doses of steroids that people with like Hodgkin's lymphoma take. I mean, like bone-crushing, skin-destroying doses that were yeah. making him insane. Yeah. And then eventually he developed... Um, Arthritis, this reactive arthritis that they think were, was related to a gastrointestinal uh, distress or some sort of infection, which then turned into uh, what's called reactive arthritis, which is an infection, which then triggered rheumatoid arthritis in him. Wow. But the rheumatoid arthritis he got was like bone crushing, twisting, hmm. deforming disabling arthritis and all this time he's making furniture i was gonna say the fact mm-hmm. that it's phys- it's so physically debilitating and he was a was he a woodworker he was a woodworker yeah. he's a very talented woodworker and so what that meant was that he had time to woodwork and time to sleep and that was it so mm-hmm. any kind of like when you think about a partnership like you go like people are like oh we're gonna go on vacation like we mm-hmm. could never he could never really go anywhere because mm-hmm. it was too risky to travel he couldn't um get away from working all he could do was work and sleep it was really tough yeah and eventually he became too disabled to work and um you know he was on uh biogenic drugs biologics and he was on very high doses of steroids and he was on immunosuppressants and eventually he got bone infections that were chronic and they removed part of his spine and he had a colostomy and then um it just kept progressing until he died a heart failure this past Christmas. Wow. But this whole arc of events took about 15 years. That's a long... Well, we always thought he was going to get better, you know? Yeah. So, so it was one of those things where when people are like, why didn't you stop? Why didn't he stop working? And yeah. it's like, it's easy to say that when you look back. But at the time, you think, oh, the methyltrexate's going to help. Yeah. Oh, this is going to help. Oh, right, this right, is right. going to help. Yeah. And so you were taking care of him while teaching and making your own work. That was like the last four years I was teaching adjunct at a couple of places in order to retain health insurance. Mm -hmm. Because we had at one time owned four properties, but we lost three of them to medical bills. And I was, I didn't want to lose our house. Yeah. 
And so I went to school and I got a graduate degree and then started teaching um, at university level so that I could uh, get health insurance. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And then I would come home and take care of him. Wow. Yeah. And did that, did that make its way into your work at all as an artist? You know, it didn't. And it didn't. now it is. And like now, now it I'm is. starting to write a book. Um, it's a, you know, a comic book that's about that experience of taking care of somebody. I think when it was going on, I didn't see what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I didn't see how completely outrageous it is to take care of somebody who's very slowly dying, won't admit it. Because there was no family around, like, you know, like, we don't have any, he didn't have any brothers or sisters right. or moms or dads, and I didn't either. Neither of us are from here. Mm -hmm. So there's really no support at all. Right. Except for this incredible flotilla of friends. Right. That helped us. But as yeah. far as that, like, consistent daily commitment from another person, that wasn't available right. to us. And I don't think I realized how insane it was until really recently. Yeah. It's almost like the immediacy of the situation. Like, you don't have time to process yeah. and let it integrate into... You're just doing laundry. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Well, you talked a little bit about where you guys live. So, tell me about how you came to San Antonio and what your physical... Like, what your home is like. Okay. So, we moved to San Antonio, like, super on a whim. Mm -hmm. So, Pete's grandfather was an evangelical minister. Whoa. And so he did those CARPA revivals like in Central America and along the border. He was Mexican-American. Yeah. And um, he was from Raymondville actually, but he lived in Marfa and he would go and do these tent revivals and people would give him churches, right? Whoa. And so somebody gave him a church and it was called Spirit of Ebenezer and it was in East Austin. It's right near where mm -hmm. Mr. Natural is. You know the old Mr. Natural yeah. office, Cesar Chavez? Yeah, yeah. It's like right there. Whoa. And um, so we were going to buy that church from him and then we were going, it's on Holly Street, mm -hmm. but it's like right near there. Yeah. And so we were going to buy that church from him and move to Austin mm -hmm. because we had met at a residency in Aspen, mm -hmm. Peter and me. Mm -hmm. And we had decided we were going to move there and turn the church into a wood shop and all of that stuff. Yeah. But then, and it was all ready to go. And then, like the night before, God told him not to sell it to us. And so we the were night before you were going to fly out. Before to we were going to go and close all the paperwork wow. and everything and buy this place. So it was like, okay, so God is um, can't argue with God. So <laughs> we didn't really have any place to move or any plans. Yeah. And then my sister-in-law said like, oh, I went to San Antonio once. It's really cool. You should go and check it out. Yeah. I went to some dental convention there. So we drove down and we looked around and then we found this house and it was like right downtown and it was like 350 bucks a month for a house. And we were like, this is insane. We just have to move here because we had no money. Yeah. So we didn't really have any options. Mm -hmm. So we moved here and then kind of like he got a job painting, making rodeo signs and I got a job painting rodeo signs and then we were always just going to stay for a little bit but mm -hmm. then he started to get sick and then somebody found a building like right downtown that was, they were selling for like less than a minivan and we were like, okay, we can buy that and it would turn out it was this 6,200 square foot giant grocery store from the 1930s and it was right downtown so we bought it and uh, we've been living in there ever since, and that was probably 18 years ago. Wow. Or what is it? Ago. What does it look like inside? It's like one of those. Well, outside it looks like a deco building, you know, with the glass blocks and the curved walls. Yeah. And then the oval windows. Yeah. Kind of like an old pharmacy. Yeah. 
And then um, inside, it's really rough. Like, partial part of Pete's illness is that all our money obviously went to medical. Mm-hmm. So we never really renovated it. So yeah. my mom says it's kind of like you're camping. I mean, <laughs> the house part is pretty and all. Yeah. But it's very leaky and rough. And right. But it looks cool. Yeah. And then um, most of the building is just raw studio space. Wow. Yeah, just big, open, cracked concrete slabs, big ceiling. Wow. It's mostly just space. Wow. That's... It's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so you're originally from... Wilmington, Delaware. Delaware, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us what it was like growing up in Delaware? Yeah, it's really weird. My parents are British, right? They Mm -hmm. moved here right after World War II. Mm Mm-hmm. And... uh, DuPont Chemical Company intentionally hired a lot of refugees from Europe. And that was like part of their employment plan mm. at that time. Because there wasn't a, there weren't many engineers in the United States. There were a lot of engineers in Europe. And so my parents came over and worked for DuPont. My dad worked for DuPont his whole life at the international department. And so there were a lot of other people like me, first generation European Americans. And my parents had lots and lots of friends and hardly any of them were American. So Mm. I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware with all these kind of mid-level, managerial DuPont engineers that were from all over Europe, like Finnish and Danish and British, a lot of British people, a lot of Germans. Interesting. So did you have a, a sort of a creative life as a kid? I was always really creative and I always made a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody ever noticed. Yeah. You know, like I don't think it was one of those things where it was like, Katie, she's the artistic one, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, maybe a little bit. My mom knew I was really interested in art and she did some really great things. Like once she took me out of school to go see Falling Water by, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah, yeah. And then one day, she sometimes she'd take me out of school and we'd go to the Barnes Foundation when it was still at the house before mm-hmm. it was in the museum. And, and we would go to Delaware Art Museum and Philadelphia Art Museum. I mean, she was pretty awesome about it. But I don't think anybody really thought, like, ooh, that Katie, she's super talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what form did your creativity take at that point? Like, were you just sort of on your own? Yeah, I was creative. on my own. Yeah. And I was drawing a lot. I really like crafty yeah. things. I like craft projects. Mm-hmm. I like building stuff. Like, I used to build little houses in the backyard mm-hmm. in the woods and stuff yep. like that. Was there a point at which you realized that you wanted to be an artist? Yes. When was that? I guess that was like, I was very fortunate in that I went to a really nice private high school. And when that happened, it's called Wilmington Friends School, the art teacher there kind of recognized that I was good at art. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now that I think about it, I don't think that's really the truth. I mean, when I was in junior high, at public school, too, I got a lot of accolades for my art, and I won every single art competition mm-hmm. there was. So I guess I, I kind of forgot that. So I think maybe my teachers recognized it even in elementary school now that I yep. think about it. So was, they, they noticed it. Was, was the, were the art programs within your schools the main avenues through which oh, yeah. your creativity was able yeah. to grow? I mean, I wasn't really from that kind of background where you took private art lessons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, what would you say was the best part about your arts education, whether it was elementary, middle, high, or at RISD, or even just in your work as an adult? Like, Well, I guess it, RISD was definitely the best part of my art education. And I think 
the thing that was the most interesting about that was the idea that art wasn't this, um, excuse me, <coughs> was a sort of, a, I think the most interesting thing about being at RISD was that art became an intellectual and analytical practice in a way that I had always approached it but never had had verbalized towards me. Mm -hmm. So instead of it being this sort of, you know, fountain of self-expression, mm -hmm. it became a practice that could be good or bad. It yeah. could be evaluated and it could be analyzed. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is really the difference between an artist and just being very creative and making stuff. Right, right? yeah. Is, is that, that sort of analysis and seeing things in a cultural and historical context mm -hmm. and, and also um, just being held to a high standard as far as actual output and production so definitely if obviously you know RISD was an incredible experience yeah but I do think that my high school art teacher also was inspirational because she hadn't been I think destroyed by lack of resources or being mm. down into treating it like it's entertainment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what outside of your your art classes in school? What was your schooling experience like growing up? Well, I grew up in uh, you know a middle class suburb, and I remember always being told that I went to these really good schools. Mm -hmm. You know. But I remember loving being in class and hating being out of class. Like, not liking school because of the social aspect. I remember, yeah. like, the unbelievable brutish sexism of mm. the other students. Yeah. The male students in junior high. And, mm -hmm. you know, things that people might brush off as being hilarious hijinks. Right. That I find abusive. Right. Sexist, predatory. Practices. And you were aware of that as a, as a kid. Wow. Yeah. And I was very unpopular. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was very verbal. <laughs> and I was really, I've always just felt very enraged by male entitlement. Yeah. See, I feel like most middle school girls sense it um, and are definitely experiencing it, but aren't, or I, at least I felt, and as a middle school teacher, often witnessed girls not knowing how to articulate what they sent, like what they're, what they're experiencing or not knowing, knowing to call it brutish or knowing to call it predatorial, um, which is probably a function of it being so systemic. Outside of your art classes, were there places where you were in school? Like were you, was your creativity being tapped outside of your art programs? Well, problem solving. I mean, I always yeah. really like science classes. And, yeah. I, I, and yeah, I had a really great writing teacher once I went to that fancy prep school named Nona Smolko. So I did wrote a lot of poetry. I wrote a lot. entered a mm -hmm. lot of competitions because of her. Yep. So yeah, I mean, I think I, think I might have tapped my own creativity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you talked a little bit about this already, like what you think makes a great arts education you mentioned like the intellectual component um and i've been thinking a lot about um the difference between like mastering mastering a craft on the technical level versus 
using your craft to do like transformational artwork or artwork that has a purpose outside of just like mastering the technical piece. Mm -hmm. What do you think, how do you, and this is a kind of a philosophical question, but like in your art, in your teaching experience, how do you move your students out of just like using their technical skill to produce something um, into doing that more transformational work? Does that make sense? Well, one of the things I talk about a lot is that, like, these three different ways of looking at artwork. One is um, materials, and, like, that materials have meaning, right? And then the other is process, like, whether you're doing something additive or subtractive or assemblage or you're building something or you're deconstructing something. All of those methods by which the thing is actually created that don't have to do with materials. The process is mm -hmm. one of the components, and then the materials bring in the component, and then the content brings in a component, and then you're also like your visible, your visual kind of expertise or what we would call skill brings it. So that's four components. You have skill, you have process, you have material, and you have content. And so I talk about those four components and how they, they interact each time someone's making a piece of artwork. And I talk mm -hmm. a lot about the absence of neutrality mm. when you're looking at visual arts materials. Mm. Meaning that, like, you can't say, oh, it's pencil on white paper because that's neutral. I mean, there is no neutral right. with artwork. And um, that you have to have a reason for all of those things. And I find that when you start talking to people that way, they start coming up with their own projects and their own sort of personal combinations that can take off from mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like when I say like, oh, well, why are you doing it in pencil? Oh, why is that drawing flat? Mm -hmm. You know, why is it square or rectangular? Yep. Those kind of questions, they'll start to come up with their own formulas mm -hmm. that help express the content. Yep. And one of the things I find super depressing is this vase thing. Like What's that? Vase and scholastic. There are these competitions... Uh, that they have at school and they're a great evaluative kind of um, measure for art teachers. So oh, like, interesting. Oh, you know, yeah, like yeah. 13 of my students got a gold key and vase. Oh, which right, is right. Visual Arts Scholastic Exhibition. Mm -hmm. something. It's the state of Texas. Yep. And so these competitions get like really bogged down. Like you, they're like, it's like you walk into a room and there's like 2,000 pencil drawings done from photographs and you just mm. want to shoot yourself oh yeah, yeah. it's horrible like all the kids like they all just sat down and like <laughs> listen to Pink the Floyd standardization of like, art oh, yeah it's like the worst yeah and I understand why it happens because these teachers have been completely disempowered and they have to have they have to come up with quote unquote measurable outcomes right and that's a measurable outcome mm -hmm. how much it looks like a photo yeah but it is just soul crushing and yeah it, it really strips art of its yeah it dominates art education in Texas. Yeah. So if you are going like if what what changes would you like to see in arts education? I guess is my next question. I think you already kind of spoke to it. Um I guess one of the things that I'd like to see in art education is that it not be the measurable outcomes should be more process oriented and less product oriented. Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe kind of like an understanding of process and an understanding of materials I don't know they could take the form of a test or artist you know principles mm -hmm. and then um, 
and then the application of those ideas into one project a semester yeah as opposed to this constant output of, of like really slick drawings yeah 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 I'm with you um, so your daughter is an artist yeah she is she's a really good visual artist and she's also a great musician and she's also really really interested in chemistry and physics awesome yeah um, and what was her what was her schooling experience like and yeah it was pretty different from mine so she went to circle school which is mm -hmm. this incredible yeah. school I can't say enough about I kind of yeah. love it to death and she went there for <laughs> eight years yeah and um, I was also the art teacher there oh you were yeah and uh, which she hated <laughs> and um, we made really great art projects though and we uh, I worked there for I guess like six years as the art teacher and in that little studio in that little teeny studio <laughs> teaching four-year-olds how to draw and what's really funny is I teach in the same way I teach the college students so I'd be teaching at university and I'd be teaching everybody like you know uh, what do you call it um, continuous line contour drawing and I do the same thing with the four-year-olds and so yeah so all the kids that I taught, no matter what, they can really, they can draw the snot out of stuff now, even if they're like football players, yeah. you know, all those kids that I taught. Are That's really awesome. Drawing. It was great. And I remember once looking at my daughter and I'm like, what are you doing? And she was doing this like photographic replication of this map of, of uh, the Balkans or something. When she was like maybe what? six, she was like six and she was studying the Balkans, you know, because that's the kind of school it was. And she was doing this photo and I'm like, well, why don't we just make a copy of the map? And she's like, oh, that's okay. I wanted to try to draw it. And it looked exactly like it. And I was just like, wow, it's not that hard yeah. to teach kids to draw realistically yeah. if you teach them in a logical, progressive manner. Yeah. But then what? You know, so totally. then I think it's great. I think everybody should be able to draw just like everybody should be able to do math. Right. But just because I should, can do my checkbook, that doesn't make me an accountant. Right, right, right. You know, so this idea, one of the worst things is, you know, you show up, a, you send up an exhibition and somebody walks in and they're like, oh, my uncle's an artist. He mm -hmm. makes like these uh, monkeys out of string in his basement, you know, and I'm like, right. well, he might be an artist. Yeah. But he's probably not, you know. He's <laughs> yeah. just really good at making these string monkeys, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. Like, what's the difference? What sets that person apart from someone who does really original, interesting, artistic work? Like, and and is there a way to foster whatever that thing is in in our children? Do you know what I mean? Like, someone who does like really excellent, who's making work and has like the baseline technical skill, versus someone who like you who's doing really who has that skill and is applying it in a way that's really unique to them well i'm not sure that we should necessarily educate all our kids to be artists no 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 oh, no okay. i mean and i don't mean that necessarily i'm i mean i mean um i guess the first question i'm asking is what is, is there a cognitive difference there like what is the thing that makes the difference. Yeah. I think it's analysis. It's I analysis, really I yeah. Think it's analysis and also like thinking about, I mean, it's really, it's a lot of cultural analysis. I mean, when you look at something, what are you looking, what are the lenses you're looking mm -hmm. through? Because we're all looking at things. Like I just recently was in South Carolina and we were talking about a public art project and one of the people's like, oh, well, I make these charm bracelets, these big charm bracelets. And they're like, well, great. We should put chains around this sculpture 
And I'm like, we're in the middle of South Carolina. I'm not putting chains around stuff, you know? And like, like I just, you know, just right, historically right. it seems problematic to me. Yeah. And so that's what I'm talking about is like um, being able to, it's a communication skill, like being able to divorce yourself from what you want to make and think about how it's actually going to be received. And in order to do that, you have to have a knowledge that you're willing to apply when you are making something creatively that encompasses, you know, literature and history and culture. Right. Yeah. So I guess the thing I was getting at was if it's analysis, then the the idea would be that, you know, not every kid is intended to be an artist or should be an artist, but my belief is that every kid does have a thing that they that they can do with excellence um and so the idea would be like if you're think if you're naturally inclined toward math or science or history or whatever it is then wouldn't would teaching the skill of analysis be the thing that accelerates you beyond just being like a master of it um and being like a producer of interesting work within that discipline is what I was getting at. I don't know if that made any sense, but yeah, I think that I think it's true. Yeah, I mean, you have to be able to anal- analyze and evaluate. But art has this very unique set of problems that I think makes it valuable in the range of all the subjects that are being studied. Like when you mm-hmm. take away art, you're taking away something critical, which is that um, in most of the other sort of media we're working in the world of symbols, right? Like mm-hmm. we're using numbers and we're using letters mm-hmm. and that's sim- that's a symbolic way. We're assembling them in a way to convey information that's very uh, abstract. Yeah. And it's super abstract and it's always weird to me when people say that art is really hard to understand because I'm like, you know, you take a triangle and draw a line through it and you think it means ah. Like that yeah. is the most abstract thing in the world. Right? Like that's yeah. insane. <laughs> And no wonder we have to try so hard to get kids to do that because yeah. it doesn't make any sense. And so <laughs> one of the things that's so nice about art is if I say write a poem, well, we know what it's going to look like, right? Right. Like it's going to look like lines on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. But if we tell you to make a piece of artwork about water, well, it might be made out of water. It might be a painting of water. Mm-hmm. It might be a sculpture of resin. It might be a bucket filled with water. Right. It could be a lot of things. Right. And so... It's a very different problem-solving thing. And the other thing that's very nice about art is the way that we teach it is that, uh, hopefully, you make it, you put it in front of the classroom, people look at it, and they talk about it. And and in a lot of other classes, that's not going to happen. That generally doesn't happen in math. Mm -hmm. In class, you know, you don't stand up and say, like, well, I did this. Right. And this is how it came out. Yeah. And so it also is an, a unique opportunity for you to say, I had a personal idea. I made it manifest. Right. This is a manifest physical evidence of my idea. And now you're going to evaluate my idea as right. an outsider and yeah. tell me how well I've communicated it. That's worth a lot of money. I don't understand yeah. why art isn't in all the schools. Because yeah. that's basically entrepreneurial training. Right. And, I, what I, and what I, my hope for education is that that approach what is applied within every discipline because I think that's the thing that matters that process of having an idea and be able, being able to use a, a, sim, a, sim, a sign system of some kind whether it's language, mathematics, arts, whatever it is to express that idea 
in like a coherent and meaningful way and then have and the world respond to it um yeah that seems like that's i i agree with you that that cannot be education cannot be stripped of that because that seems so essential well it has been stripped yeah of that. i mean it has been stripped yeah of that. so uh it can be it can be it can be but it shouldn't be that um well there's a couple of costs and one of the costs is that uh people aren't really held in a way there's a lack of accountability for their own learning to anything anybody other than themselves in other words nobody else is evaluating what they're creating except for like their teachers grading it right but there's in this general peer-to-peer analysis and then the other thing is that if you're a student who because they're dyslexic or neuro- neurologically you haven't developed to the point where you understand symbols there really isn't a place for you in school mm-hmm. unless you're doing the arts you know yeah because like i said back to that that like what is a number that's so insane when you think about what a two looks like it has nothing to do with what a two is mm-hmm. so how can you it's a huge abstract leap to ask somebody to understand that, especially when they're like six. Yeah. But so I think that there is an entryway to those sort of systems and ideas uh, through artwork. Mm-hmm. My I never really took physics, or if mm-hmm. I did, I don't remember it. And yeah. my daughter was taking physics in high school. She was trying to explain like ideas of like momentum, blah blah blah, to me, and and I couldn't understand it. But then I could draw it out. Like when she was talking, I could yeah. draw out the ideas, and if I could draw it out. Without using numbers, right? I understood it. Yeah. So, I think that why wouldn't you want somebody to have that skill when they're right. taking physics? Totally. Which you is know, such a like, visual. Yeah. Like, why would you want them to have to rely on on symbols when right. you can draw it? Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, and just allowing kids to use the modality that works best for them. Yeah. Um, because I mean, it, it makes sense that art would be your access point. Into right. It, right, and it's probably my access point because someplace <laughs> somewhere along the line, I'm very low in my cognition of symbols. Like I think I might have gotten. I'm not a stupid person, but I think no. I might have dumped myself in the arts because I didn't do right. it for the money. I didn't do it for the status. <laughs> you know, like if I wanted to go, like if I could free will myself, I probably would have been good at something else. But that, <laughs> that seems to be where my that was your natural that aptitude. That was my natural aptitude. And I think yeah. it might be because I'm not that good at understanding symbols. Yeah. And I guess my my hope for education is that um, someone will pay attention to that. Like you said, no one noticed when you were a kid. Yeah, like no that one noticed someone, that I was good at art. Someone will notice kids' natural aptitudes and then help them like move in the direction of that sort of natural current rather than being like, no, fit in here, get, get good at, you know, get good at this thing that we value instead of the thing that like you love and also are inherently good at. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, what, what do you hope for, I guess as an art teacher, it could be said that you're sort of you're contributing to the future of San Antonio's art community. So, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think yeah. so, but maybe not <laughs> not in the way of of producing artists. Like, I yeah. know I'm not just producing artists because I always say to people like if if um if I was training people to be artists, like I'd be pretty depressed, you know? Because yeah, you know, a lot of my students really suck, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I'm teaching art. <laughs> 
you know, they're not all going to be great at it. And they're going to be at different levels when they come in. They're going to be at different levels when they leave. And certainly where they leave doesn't mean that um, if they're horrible when they leave my class, that doesn't mean they're horrible. It just means yeah. that they're horrible at that point. Right, they're still know? in the process of... And yeah. so, but I think that the way that I can contribute to San Antonio by teaching art for the art community is that I can at least teach people the art principles so that they can be good and intelligent consumers of art. Mm -hmm. And then also and um, ambassadors for art and mm -hmm. boosters for art. And then a small proportion of them can make art. Right. But I certainly yeah. don't feel, even if somebody comes out of my program with a degree in art, right. I don't have any kind of pressure on them to be an artist. In the same way that if you study English, I don't think you have to be an author. No, of course not. Yeah, yeah but just maybe the, the, um, the experience of having studied art and developed their skill in art has added value to their life in yeah. some way. And they know what to look for when they look at art. They're right. Not, you know, they can, they can be their own art critic and they can be... Um, and also all those things we were just talking about with problem solving, mm -hmm. making ideas manifest. Yeah. I mean, but as far as, as contributing to the art community directly, yeah, they can become art consumers and proponents and mm -hmm. activists. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was my last question. And we're at 45 minutes. How do you feel now that... It's done. I hope it was okay. <laughs> it was great. Okay, yeah, good. it was. Yeah. yeah, it was super interesting. Well, don't don't take that off yet because okay. we're. I guess we have to say bye to the people. So okay. thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Oh, yeah. <laughs> bye. That was really great. Thank you. Bye.